Welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 85, Who is on the Lord's Side? Hello, everybody. I'm so glad you're here. I am feeling a little blue today. <laughs> I had kind of a an interesting weekend, um, and I don't know, it just kind of made me a little, a little sad and um, thinking about a lot of things. And so today we're going to talk about commandments and why they're important. And before I start into that, I want you to know that I am giving a pep talk to myself as much as I'm trying to give a pep talk to you. Um, I think life, life is just hard and life is, is supposed to be hard and, and that's okay. And, and I just want you to know that as I talk to you, I'm right there with you. So with that, let's get started. The chapters from this week really can remind us that the Lord cares if we keep the commandments. The commandments aren't there as lighthearted suggestions. However, keeping them is still something that we luckily, happily, wonderfully get to decide to do or not. Unfortunately, or you might sometimes look at it as unfortunate, we don't get to choose the consequences. And I say fortunate because keeping the commandments and living with the consequences of doing that or not is what makes us grow, is what is getting us to where we are supposed to go. Covenanting to keep the commandments is using our agency to commit to the will of the Lord over our own. Luckily, as a result of keeping the commandments with a sincere heart, with a love and a faith in the Lord, our will goes through a transformation that causes us to begin to see the perspective the Lord has and therefore often aligns our will with his naturally. However, no matter how in tune with the spirit we might be, we still might want something to be different than his plan for us. The Savior himself asked for his cup to be removed, Luke twenty-two forty-one, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. The Savior, asking for removal of a hard thing, acknowledged that in that moment it wasn't his will that he would have to go through that, but that his will wasn't more important or wise than the Father's. Seeing that none of us are at the level of righteousness of the Savior, our constant mission is going to have to be to seek a change of heart, a readjustment of desire and grace to make up for what we lack so that we can obey the commandments in the purest way possible. In Exodus chapter 24, Moses came down from Mount Sinai and told the people the Ten Commandments and all of the additional laws that govern them. And they responded united, saying, All the words which the Lord hath said we will do. After Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, he got up in the morning and he built an altar at the base of a hill and twelve pillars to represent the twelve tribes of Israel to offer sacrifices. Moses then took half of the blood from the sacrifices and sprinkled it on the altar, and then half of the blood he sprinkled on the people after he reread the law of Moses to them, which I know in our day seems gross. I'm sure maybe even then it seemed gross to sprinkle blood on everybody, but think of the symbolism there and that the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to all of us as we covenant with the Lord each week uh, when we take the sacrament or when we're baptized symbolically we are sprinkled with the blood of Christ. So remember that when you read things like that, where you're like, ew, just remember that it's symbolic. 
They promised again, saying, All that the Lord hath said we will do, and be obedient. Next, Moses and 73 elders went to see the Lord. It's there that the Lord commands Moses to come to him on Mount Sinai so that he can write personally his laws on tablets of stone so the Israelites can be taught. While Moses is on the Mount Sinai receiving these commandments for 40 days and nights, the Israelites can see the evidence of the glory of the Lord on top of the mountain. It says in verse 17, And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. Amazingly, (laughs) uh, even with all of this awesome craziness going on right in front of their eyes, the children of Israel get impatient, waiting for Moses to come back down and ask Aaron to make a golden calf, which Aaron unfortunately complies. Moses is still with the Lord when the Lord says in chapter 32, Go get thee down, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These by thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. After imploring with the Lord to have mercy on the people, And here, if you're reading in your scriptures, make sure to read the JST on these verses. The Lord tells him that he will spare the people if they repent, but there has to be a consequence, a punishment for those who don't. So Moses goes down, and before he can see them, he hears them. And Joshua, who was waiting for Moses farther down the mountain, mistakes the sound for war. But Moses has already been told what it was. He says, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, meaning the people crying victory over an enemy. Neither is the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them, that song I do hear. So basically, they were having a giant party around the golden calf. Moses was very angry when he came to the people. He threw the tablets at the mountain to break them. He burnt the golden calf and ground it into powder and made the people drink it. One of the the crazy parts of the story that I always thought was Aaron, who has been been the voice of Moses, the, the spokesperson for Moses this whole time, and has witnessed so many great things very closely and has participated in helping Moses accomplish the miracles that have happened. Why? Why would he do this? Why would he agree to make the people a golden calf? And later we see that he becomes a great leader and a, and a righteous man. So why did he participate? And I'm not going to expound too much on that. Um, but just think about the transformation that we can go through as people and that we can be called and we can do great things for the Lord. We can have a determination to be righteous. We can have a testimony and then really mess up and then also have the opportunity to be redeemed. So I think Aaron's story of redemption and making a huge mistake and being able to come back from that, I think is really inspiring. In chapter 32, verse 21, it says, And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people, that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who has brought us out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. Isn't isn't that just crazy? They could see what was going on at the top of the mountain. I mean, not specifically, but they could see that something was going on. And they just decide he's not coming back and they don't know what happened to him. So later we're told in Deuteronomy that Aaron actually, it doesn't really go into it here, but he was actually in quite a bit of trouble for this. So after they had been chastised by Moses, he asks, 
all of them, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. So people come, those who chose to come. Those who repented were then commanded to go kill anyone who wouldn't repent. And it says about 3,000 people were killed. What's the reason for this? That's a lot of people. And it feels harsh coming from our loving, merciful God. It seems that the Lord knew that they wouldn't be able to be a righteous nation with those who weren't humble enough to do his will after all that they had seen. Let's remember what Nephi said about this. First Nephi chapter 4, verse 13. Behold, the Lord slayeth the wicked to bring forth his righteous purposes. It is better that one man should perish than a nation should dwindle and perish in unbelief. So we've got those reasons. I also always like to think that when things like this happen that feel harsh, where the people are destroyed, I also think it's the Lord protecting them from themselves, where if he knows that they're not going to repent, that they're they're beyond that, why would he let them continue and be more and more accountable for what they're doing? So when we really put into perspective eternity and realize that mortal life, death is not as serious as spiritual death, it's actually merciful for the Lord to end their life before they can be more accountable for what they're doing. And especially after all they had seen, it is a greater sin to sin against a greater light. They had a whole lot of light and, and I would say knowledge about who God was and that he really was leading them. And they were sinning against that. So just some things to think about as, as you read that and you're like, oh, 3000 people, that feels wrong. Okay. So Jehovah made the first stones with the commandments, the ones that Moses broke. Moses later makes the second set, and that begs the question, did they say the same thing? No, they do not. We learn in chapter 34, verses 1 through 2, what was on these first tablets. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two other tables of stone, like unto the first, and I will write upon them also the words of the law, according as they were written on the first, on the tables which thou breakest. But it shall not be according to the first, for I will take away the priesthood out of their midst. Therefore, my holy order and the ordinances thereof shall not go before them, for my presence shall not go up in their midst, lest I destroy them. But I will give unto them the law as at first, but it shall be after the law of carnal commandment. For I have sworn in my wrath that they shall not enter into my presence, into my rest in the days of their pilgrimage. So originally, the first law included the ordinances and blessings of the Melchizedek priesthood. And this explains why it isn't a part of the law of Moses which I think is just so, I, I just always love finding full circle moments where I I know before I knew all of this, I always wondered why weren't the Jews practicing this, this order of eternal marriage and all of the ordinances that we have because of the Melchizedek priesthood? Why wasn't that part of what the Jews were doing? And this explains it. The Lord did try to have them live that order, but they didn't live worthy of it. And so he revoked that and gave them a lesser law, which we also see modern examples of that with the pioneers. They were given the law of consecration, and then that has been backed off to the law of tithing. So it's just cool to see here that the Lord is merciful. And when he sees that a people cannot um, handle that level of of gospel of ordinance of priesthood yet, then he kind of takes it back a notch and that withholds some blessings from them and their ability to progress beyond a certain point. But it also 
makes it realistic for what the Lord knows that they can do. And for me, that just adds extra motivation to make sure that I am trying my very hardest to do what we've been asked to do now so that the Lord knows that I am ready for a higher law. And that's really the goal of of our church, of, of Zion, is that we want to be living our current law so well that the Lord knows that we are ready for him to come again. And it's then that the higher law will be introduced, which is so exciting. Okay, so we are going to stop here with the story and talk about commandments. The Lord tells us in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, keep my commandments. I want to relay this poignant story told by Von G. Keech in his talk called Blessed and Happier Those Who Keep the Commandments of God. He says, Some time ago, while visiting Australia, I traveled to a beautiful horseshoe bay renowned for its surfing. As I walked along the beach, I was enthralled by the magnificence of the large crashing waves breaking just outside the bay and the smaller waves rolling in closer to shore. As I continued my stroll, I encountered a group of American surfers. They were obviously upset about something, talking loudly and gesturing toward the sea. When I asked them what was wrong, they pointed to just outside the bay where the big waves were breaking. Look out there, one of them angrily told me. Can you see the barrier? Looking more closely now, I could indeed see a barrier stretching across the entire mouth of the bay, right where the large, enticing waves were breaking. The barrier appeared to be made of heavy mesh and was supported by floats on top of the water. According to the surfers, it dropped all the way down to the ocean floor. The American surfer continued, We are here on a once-in-a-lifetime trip to surf these big waves. We can surf the smaller ones breaking within the bay itself, but the barrier makes it impossible for us to surf the big ones. We have no idea why the barrier is there. All we know is that it has totally spoiled our trip. As the American surfers became more animated, my attention was drawn to another nearby surfer, an older man and obviously a local. He seemed to be growing impatient as he listened to the ever-increasing complaints about the barrier. Finally, he rose and walked over to the group. Without saying anything, he pulled a pair of binoculars from his backpack and handed them to one of the surfers, pointing out toward the barrier. Each of the surfers looked through the binoculars. When my turn came, with help of magnification, I could see something that I had not been able to see before. Dorsal fins. Large sharks feeding near the reef on the other side of the barrier. The group quickly became subdued. The old surfer retrieved his binoculars and turned to walk away. As he did, he said words I will never forget. Don't be too critical of the barrier, he said. It's the only thing keeping you from being devoured. As we stood on that beautiful beach, our perspective had suddenly changed. A barrier that had seemed rigid and restrictive, that seemed to curtail the fun and excitement of riding the really big waves, had become something very different. With our new understanding of the danger that lurked just below the surface, the barrier now offered protection, safety, and peace. As you and I walk the paths of life and pursue our dreams, God's commands and standards, like the barrier, can sometimes be difficult to understand. They may appear rigid and unyielding, blocking a path that looks fun and exciting and that is being followed by so many others. As the Apostle Paul described, we see through a glass darkly with such a limited perspective that we often cannot comprehend the great dangers hidden just below the surface. But he who comprehendeth all things knows exactly where those dangers lie. He gives us divine direction through his commands and loving guidance so that we may avoid the dangers, so that we may set a course in our lives that is protected from spiritual predators and the gaping jaws of sin. Doesn't that draw such a clear picture? 
It makes me love the commandments so much. We are here to become something greater than we can imagine. But the perspective we have here naturally is so limited, so short-sighted and self-centered. I liked the part where he said, They may appear rigid and unyielding, blocking a path that looks fun and exciting, and that is being followed by so many others. And when I read his description of fun and exciting, I also wanted to add in my own head that a path that feels easier, that feels less emotionally taxing at the time anyway, because we don't have to worry about anything. Nothing we do or want to do is is wrong. We don't have to feel guilt for anything. And I think that that is an enticing trap that so many fall into. Our Father in heaven and Jesus Christ want more than anything for us to choose, as Moses asked the Israelites to choose, to be on their side. They also know that in order to become like the Lord, we need the experience of living a mortal life complete with agency. The Lord didn't force the Israelites to choose him, and neither are we, although both have major consequences. For the Israelites, those consequences were pretty immediate, at least some of part of the consequence. But for us, a lot of times, those consequences are are drawn out and aren't seen immediately. The choice to not follow the Savior has its consequences, whether those consequences play out immediately or long-term. But the consequence of following the commandments results in the development needed to become like the Savior. Second Nephi chapter 2, verse 27. Wherefore, men are free according to the flesh, and all things are given them which are expedient unto man. And they are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil. For he seeketh that all men might be miserable like unto himself. In order for the righteous use of agency to produce the development and change necessary in our hearts, we need to choose in faith, not in the midst of knowing all things. Not knowing all things and trusting in God anyway is the only way that we can develop true humility and so many other Christ-like qualities. Much to the dismay and therefore mockery of the world, we follow the commandments because the Lord has asked us to, not because we always understand the reason for the barrier. And through following these commandments, we gain greater and greater trust that the Lord knows what he's doing. I've always been a rule follower. Maybe some of you can relate to that, or maybe you wouldn't consider yourself in that category. We all have different personalities, but I assume since you are here, even if it doesn't always feel natural to you and you you want to challenge those rules, at least to some extent, you are or wish to be a rule follower because you want to follow the commandments of God. Now, just to be clear before I move on, I'm not saying that one is necessarily better than the other. I think that there is great, great benefit to people who are not like me and to, who do push back on some things and really result in some some great change and change that needs to be made. So, so I'm not I'm not saying that one is better than the other. But no matter where you fall on that spectrum, it's important to keep clear in our minds the difference between doctrine and commandments and what are cultural rules. So things that are not doctrine and are just things that are generally accepted as we should or should not do. In saying that, I'm not saying that I think all cultural rules are or policy are bad. In fact, I would say that I probably follow most of them, even if I, I'm aware that I probably could choose just something different and I would be just fine. I, I think that there is wisdom in a lot of them. For instance, I don't watch R-rated movies. 
That's not doctrine, but it's at the very least not a bad idea. So because it's not a bad idea, I choose to follow that guidance because I feel it helps keep me where I want to be. And I care a whole lot more about where I want to be spiritually than I do about watching R-rated movies. However, I try not to hold anyone else up to the little, quote, rules that I choose to follow that are more up to the discretion of each individual member. And I think we would all be pretty wise to apply that to doctrine as well. In general, it's not any of our business if other people are living up to what we consider to be doctrine, unless that person is in our stewardship somehow, like our son or daughter, or you hold the calling of a bishop. And that includes withholding judgment in our mind as well. The Lord has all of that under control. He knows exactly what's going on in their life, et cetera, et cetera. And so we just really don't need to worry about it. That all being said, that doesn't mean that everything is up to our discretion. The Lord has made it pretty clear throughout scripture that there are commands that we are expected to live by without wiggle room. As always, remembering that there is grace to make up for what we lack after our best effort and repentant, sincere hearts. But it does mean that we have a moral lawgiver who has claim on truth. When it comes to the commandments of God, we don't get to decide that that commandment doesn't apply to us because it doesn't jive with the popular notion that we can all have our own truth. There is only one truth, and it's the truth that the Lord gives us. If it doesn't conform to the way that we want to live our life, it's our job to either figure out what changes we need to make in order to have our will align with his or during the times when we're struggling and fighting and praying and agonizing and wanting to be there, but we just aren't, we need to pray for the humility to say, not mine, but thy will be done. And then wait on the Lord's timetable for things to become clear. The Lord can see it all. He not only sees the flaws and weaknesses in us as a whole, but he knows exactly what your specific weaknesses are. And you have been given the gift of the Holy Ghost to help you specifically navigate through the temptations that come up in your life. He has given you personal revelation to help you navigate what you need to do in order to keep yourself close to the Savior and following his commandments. Because if there's anything abundantly clear from these chapters, it is that the Lord does care if we follow his commandments. I feel as though this is something we mostly hear as teenagers, but I see it play out with adults as well all the time. Don't listen to anyone who mocks you or makes you feel like you're being too uptight for making choices that help you be as close as you can to the spirit and show the Lord that you love him. Of course, your motivation should never be to display how awesome and righteous you are to everyone around you, but you know your heart. It's never a bad idea to stick as close to the Lord as possible. And it's always a bad idea to do things that you can feel in your heart are pulling you away from the Spirit, convincing you that little concessions are worth making to make things more comfortable, either for yourself or for people around you. You cannot possibly go wrong if you are humbly, sincerely, and passionately following the commandments of God. It doesn't mean that it might not rub people sometimes the wrong way. It probably will. But I have seen it far too often and felt it myself in families, in wards, in friend groups, the mockery, whether lighthearted or not, of those who try not to bend their conviction for temporary social comfort. It's not self-righteous to follow the Spirit as you try to stay as far away from the line as possible, nor is it hypocritical to sincerely try to follow the commandments with exactness and mess up. 
Sometimes I think that we are afraid to display too much conviction, too much dedication, because we know that we're going to mess up in front of other people, which is literally part of the plan. Don't back off from the conviction that you want to have to the gospel of Jesus Christ because you're afraid that there will be too much contrast when you mess up, that you will look bad, you'll look hypocritical in front of other people. Try with conviction, exactness, repent when you mess up, and then repeat. I talk every week on this podcast with the passion and dedication that I feel to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then my husband listens to it, and then he watches me make mistakes the entire week. That doesn't make me a hypocrite. It simply makes me human. I am not embarrassed to be dedicated to the commandments of Jesus Christ and also mess up all the time in front of my family and friends. I think so many times Satan tries to trick us into thinking that that should be embarrassing, but I refuse to buy into that. My kids are going to grow up hearing me bear my testimony and show dedication to the commandments and be terribly imperfect. I hope that that shows them that both are possible and part of God's plan for me and for them. I hope that none of us are ever the one to mock or make light of some imperfect person's effort to love the Savior by keeping the commandments with care, including ourselves. Because I can tell you who is not laughing, your Savior, Jehovah, who spoke to the Israelites. The Lord has given us commandments throughout the history of the world for our safety, progression, and ultimate happiness. The things that we are asked to do today, we are asked to do with the same seriousness. And you know what's so cool? We have a higher law. Our law is less about precise action and more about the condition of our hearts. What a beautiful thing we get to focus on. My prayer for us is that we respond far better than the Israelites did here. I want to always be like Nephi, who said, Wilt thou make me that I might shake at the appearance of sin? May the gates of hell be shut continually before me, because that my heart is broken and my spirit is contrite. O Lord, wilt thou not shut the gates of thy righteousness before me, that I may walk in the path of the low valley, that I may be strict in the plain road? O Lord, wilt thou encircle me about in the robe of thy righteousness? O Lord, I have trusted in thee, and I will trust in thee forever. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.